You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Matt Bertuzzi, Director of Operations at The Bridge Group. How are you doing today, Matt? Aurélien, I'm doing quite well, thank you. Hey, you went for the full version. <laughs> Tried it, man. Good. This is good. <laughs> oh, a spotless as well. A perfect Aurelian. My mom would be so proud of you. That's pretty <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> so to, today, we'll be discussing the, the results of your most recent uh, sales development report. It's very, very, very good. I've been reading it lots and uh, lots of insights in there. But, but before we get into the conversation, Matt, can you please introduce yourself and, and also the Bridge Group, what you sure. do as an organization, what's your value proposition, and how do you help the world? Sure. So again, I'm Matt Bertuzzi. I wear two hats. I run operations, RevOps, like the tech, the tech stack, all the fun stuff. But the more interesting part is I do research around Inside sales, sales development, account management. So we, the bridge group, we work with probably you and I have an overlapping prospect base. We work with B2B tech companies that are looking to to grow, to yep. build pipeline, to close deals, to renew and expand. And we we've primarily, fo- I mean, literally we focus on, we focused on sales development back when it was called business development. And before that, when it was called inside sales, the company's been around for 20 something years. Trish Bertuzzi, the most famous Bertuzzi. I will never be more famous than my mom. She founded the company. So I, st- I joined the company about 12 years ago. At the bottom, I was an associate consultant, which is like anyone who's ever worked in consulting. It's like the grunt. And we've been doing this, this kind of research. Kind of started it on a lark in 2007. We didn't know how it was going to work out. And, and it's seemingly worked well. So we've been doing it kind of iteratively every couple of years. So we have this nice longitudinal view on how things are changing over time. Yes. So I was looking at the, the, the sales development report and I believe you've been running it since 2007, which is good. Uh, and been tracking our metrics, team structure, compensation plans for SDR have changed over time. I was looking at some stuff as well about average tenure, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the full productivity of the reps, how quickly they're moving towards our roster. So it's really quite insightful. But can, can you tell us before we get going, what sort of methodology that you use and, and what sort of audience are you, is at the back of, of that report and all that data? What, what do you pull the data from? Sure. So we do basically quantitative surveys. So when we first started, we invited our customers, right? Because every customer now, then, forever, we'll say, what do other companies that look like me pay? Or what's their quota? Or what's their profile? And the problem with that is that you have massive selection bias. Like there's, you you can't assume that the people who are your customers are the same as the people who aren't your customers. So over time, we've been lucky enough that as new people download the prior reports, we invite them to the next one. So we have a couple hundred companies taking this every, we do it every two years. So every two years, we have a couple hundred directors, VPs, managers of sales development, or VPs of sales if if there's no one who knows the numbers cold. And they're sharing their data anonymously. And generally, we ask for hard numbers, not like you know, on a scale of one to a hundred, we want the actual number, not the ranges, not the deciles or quintiles. And then we use, we like to report median numbers because sometimes people lie, sometimes people are wrong. <laughs> so averages can be crazy. So I like the median where I can generally say, you know, the half the people who set introductory meetings in the mid-market, their quota is X. 
half is below, half is above. So we, we try to keep it neutral. We're not judging people with what they answer. If they say their quote is 500, great. But if they say their quote is 5,000, it's not going to change the median where it would really pull the average. Yes. Okay. That, that makes perfect sense. So it's quite, it's quite a large sample of data that you are using. Are you mainly focusing on North American organization or, or decision maker? Or are you also looking at APAC, EMEA leaders to, to provide you with that information? So we only invite people in North America, but you know, the amazing thing about LinkedIn now is people can share, share your survey link and people you've never even met can take it, which is amazing. The challenge is like localizing comp is impossible. In the United States, it's hard enough. Like Paris, Texas and Paris, forget it. It's, it's very, very difficult. And the other thing is we have a weird culture. Not, we have a unique culture in the US where, this, where sales development is seen and treated as like a temporary quasi indentured servitude, like a, a term you serve and then you finally get to be a real person and make the big bucks. Yeah. And my impression is that's not the way it is in the rest of the world. Yeah, that's correct. Let's dive into it because you're kind of leading nicely to my first question. So it's two stats in the report that when, when you correlate together, kind of, kind of paint uh, an interesting picture. One is that the experience required from, from companies to hire SDR is, is going down. So yeah. I think it was around 2.5 years in 2010. And we are dropping to 1.2 years of experience in, yes. in 2020. Yep. And I do believe that it's linked to a lot of things, but probably the main one is that there is probably more and more demand for SDR across North America than ever. You know, there is more technology companies coming up, more B2B software companies coming out of the woodwork everywhere. Investments are going in those companies because they need to develop at the speed of light. So people need pipeline and, and they probably need more SDRs to, to fuel. But the other stats is around the fact that uh, it's, in a, it's not in context, but uh, the report mentioned that 68% of SDR actually achieve quota mm-hmm. on average. So, so my question for you, Matt, is do you believe that SDR are not eating quota simply because they are not experienced enough or because once they get experienced enough, they kind of move on to another role or get promoted and, and basically you don't have that consistency in, in the SDR team, as you just mentioned to, to help me with the opener to that question? Yeah, so, so let, let me come at it slightly different. I have a weird take and I, I want to get your opinion, but <laughs> people yet, this is what I am most, I get the most hate mail about my belief that two thirds of rep sitting quota is good. People will find my email address and send me nasty emails. But t- to me, a rep who hits 95% of quota and a rep who hits 104%, they're not, they're not different reps. They're both great. It's so we have to draw, it's an arbitrary three digit number. Yeah. So we have to draw a line somewhere. And for me, two-thirds is about right. Now, if it's two-thirds of your reps exceeding quota, think about like it's not a bell curve, you know, hovering over 50%. That's way, way shifted to the right. So you have like a third of your reps, generally speaking, over time, over a full year, a third of your reps would, would achieve less than 85%. A third would achieve 115% or above. And a third in the middle. Mm-hmm. So. I think that, that I agree with everything you said about uh, tenure, experience, skill, and then they're gone. Like when I get great at my job, I get a new job. Yeah. I think it's not so much that if we didn't do that, 
more reps would hit quota, I think it's that quotas would be higher. Yes, I agree. That's, so, that's yeah, so I think quotas are low because of everything, because we hire, and again, this is very North America, but we hire a stereotype here. Like we hire someone who graduated four, four minutes ago, <laughs> who, who doesn't know, could, literally couldn't read a balance sheet, and we expect them to cold, cold call people their parents' age and talk about their earnings reports. It's like, it's crazy. It's crazy to me how much an SDR has to learn about business before, not even like org charts, like what does a business do? How do they make money? What does risk mean? How do they quantify risk? How do you know if a company's growing or shrinking? And it has nothing to do with which specific functional areas they're selling into and what their actual product solves. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree with you. I remember being sort of the deep end when I started and, and literally taking, you know, it's actually difficult when you, when, you, when you learn all the signals that you need to correlate all together to be able to paint a picture of the accounts you are targeting. And particularly when you are doing the outbound job, you right? Know, because you do inbound, well, that's quite cool because, well, if you are like me, you get someone that speaks to you because they are in the business of buying your stuff. Right? <laughs> right, so, yeah. Um, you just need to be super skilled in terms of knowing your product. You need to know the technical documentation. You need to know that by heart. You need to be able to understand how to plug your stuff, what's cool, what's not cool, etc., etc. So you can actually go into details, but you can, these are things that you can learn. And I think you can, you can get that pretty much scripted or, or given to you and you can jump from one to the other, etc., etc. When you actually come to the storytelling of selling and the outbound prospecting and this is why I'm choosing you. This is why I believe our solution would be relevant to you and, and mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. It's an art. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's an art. And I, I was just listening to a, a podcast earlier on today that was shared with me by our managing director in, in North America from Jake Dunlap with Scaled, with Scaled Consulting. Yeah, mm -hmm. we, we love Jake. Uh, he's a good guy. So, and, and he was speaking about the art. He was speaking about his experience when he started. And, and I think, Understanding that the way you use word and position your question, the positive questioning, but open questioning, don't asking too much, being able to be relevant, creating the moment, creating that light bulb moment, shall I say, it's, it's, it's quite difficult. And yeah, expecting people to do it from the get-go or just giving them a script and expecting them to be good is a tough task, right? But yeah. what do you see as the average quota? Because you are right, you know, it depends what the quota is. You said 68% of SDR are achieving quota. Like, uh, do you measure the, the complexity of achieving quota? Are the quota pretty much the same across the, the, the sample of companies you, you've included in the research? Oh, sure. So they, they are not. As you would, as you, I mean, I'm sure with, between your clients, you understand that everyone thinks this is going to be easy and you're going to be giving them plenty of meetings. But yeah. once, once you get on the phone, you realize it. So we, we actually have... Two customers that, for coincidence, we started with at the same time, and they have a similar profile, and they had similar teams, similar profile of customer. So they, we, we helped them build teams, messaging. One, I think their quota, where, we, where it ended up, what they're actually doing, was something in the neighbor of like four or five meetings uh, per month, and another one was 12. So they're targeting nominally the same functional area in the same size companies, but one team is tripling the production of the other. So yeah. it's, you know, t timing, territories, the talent, there's a lot of variables. But if somebody put a gun to my head and said, what, what should I quota my team on? I would say, I don't know, 15 meetings a month. I think that's fair. And, and would that be purely proactive? 
Yes, yes. I mean, yes, I think that's fair. I mean, there 15, gen, not even gently qualified, 15 meetings at the right company with the right person. Yes. No, I think, I think that's fair. That's what we're looking at. So, you know, to, to give you an idea, you're banging on target. We, we're looking at 14 to 16 in terms of what we are, we are measuring our reps on. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is, the, the variation for us is, is how, much, how much data do you have and at what stage are you in the, in the process? Yeah. Right? So if you just start and you are in the first six months of a campaign, you've not built a nurturing pot, okay? You've not had Matt Bertuzzi that you spoke to when you were months two in the campaign. Mm-hmm. He was a nice guy. You had a great conversation with him. Unfortunately, no compelling reason for him to meet with you right now. But he told you, call me after the summer. And, and I think me and my project team will be in a much better position to, to, to pick up by then. So, you know, I think when you can get to 15, 16, I mean, we've got some guys in our team that go up to 30, 40, meeting <laughs> purely proactive, right? It's like but, two a day. Yeah, but those guys are, everybody look at them as like, well, those guys are monsters. No, those guys are planners. Yeah. You know, those guys don't put their feet up when they get to meeting in the morning. They carry on going. They carry on planting the seed and planting the seed and planting the seed and having conversation. And over time, those conversations develop. And there are also the people that kind of almost build a relationship mm-hmm. with prospects prior to the prospect meeting them. So yeah, what we tend to see, we tend to see months one, I think the average would be four to five sales engagement, like meetings, like as mm-hmm. you describe, right company, right prospect. Months two, uh, probably around eight, nine. Yep. Months three, 12, I would mm-hmm. say. And then months four onward, 14 plus, okay? That feels um, right. And, and that, that's, so that's, that's very similar to, to what you see. What I was surprised in the report also is, is a very large proportion of the work seems to be outbound. And that surprised me a little bit, but then I'm scratching the back of my head. I'm thinking, is that, is that because the research was done in 2020 and with COVID-19, we had to probably mm-hmm. focus back on outbound? What's your take on that, Matt? I think generally, if I had, if you and I, just took, I don't know, 15 million Series A, and somebody said, here's your number, get it. The thing we could do tomorrow would be build an outbound team or hire, hire an outbound team somewhere. Yeah. To say, okay, let's inbound market. Tomorrow, it's like, that's, okay, we can start and we'll build an in-house journalist. We could do all these amazing things, but we're not, we're not going to get that Q1 number. Plus, there's a... I mean, there's a pool every May in the United States. There's a pool of recent grads who want to get into tech who you can, they're not going to be great. And we don't, we certainly don't train them to be good, but you can put them on the phone for relatively cheap dollars. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think outbound is the thing you can do, whereas inbound is a thing you can have done in the past and now you're reaping the rewards. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, you know, the true real inbound is actually quite rare. You know, the number of time, and, and I won't mention any organization here, but the number of time with some very reputable names, like, you know, some big brands, like probably in the top 10 or 20 or 30 of, you know, what you would imagine as to be the, the, the highest revenue generating B2B software companies. 
who are coming to us and say, look, guys, that's going to be an LDR program. <laughs> right? We're going to give you leads, super well qualified. Don't worry, <laughs> just people are interested in the business of buying the stuff and blah, blah, blah. And we get going and quite frankly, Matt, if not even 20% are, are people who are interested, you know, there is lead generation, people call lead a contact. Yes. People call lead someone who's been downloading an asset from one company and then, you know, there is solution that can match up with discover.org or zoom in for the potential content that should be, it's not even the guy, right? So, and, and, and they're doing their best and all those tools are brilliant. You know, I would never speak in a bad way about content syndication or uh, intent marketing because these are information or these are tools that I believe provide you with fantastic information. When you are doing a little bit of forensic work, you've got a list of a thousand accounts or hundred accounts even, and you need to prioritize it. You know, you can't work A to Z. You've got to prioritize your accounts. And and using, looking at people, looking at the fact that companies may have searched your stuff may help you to prioritize. But the actual true, real inbound, they are rare. You know, the people which download a software, a trial, the people that fill up a contact me form, I want to buy your stuff. You know, we don't see a lot of those. And then, so putting together two threads that you said. So one, like the uh, contact us versus registered for you know, downloaded, but never read a web paper. Like that's a pretty wide spectrum. Yeah. And then the other thing you said was call me in two months. It's like, yes, I totally agree. It's, it's hard to drive by prospect or hard to get results from drive by prospecting in those two scenarios. Yeah. Like you, you download our, our white paper. Do you want a meeting? No. Versus call me in two months. Well, what, what if that SDR is not going to be in the seat in two months? What if they're thinking in their head, in two months, I'm going to be an AE? Yeah. So all, all the work you've built, because they're not going to be in seat, it, it just it falls away. It's really hard to think about next quarter. And this is completely rational, and, and everyone's acting in their own self-interest, but it's hard for the SDR to think about next quarter if they don't plan on being an SDR next quarter. Yeah. So another thing that, and as the last, the last point, and I, w- I want to ask you a question about what you think, because it's not, it's not about me and what I think and what I found surprising <laughs> it's about you today. I was surprised to see the phone connection. So you, you've got something that you call quality conversation. Mm-hmm. I was surprised to see that going down, but it's kind of, it's kind of almost feel like it's a little bit in decline and that it's, it's more and more difficult to have qualitative conversation over the phone. Can you give us your thoughts on what are the best medium, if there is such a thing, or do you see a trend where uh, a specific medium may be a better place to engage prospect in that quality conversation? Sure. So d- number one, you're absolutely right. The number, so we, we define quality conversations just for, for listeners as it's, it can be a phone call, a phone conversation where at least one piece of qualifying or disqualifying information is learned. So something more than, I'd like to talk to you and they hang up or say, take me off your list. Like that's not quality. Or, and I stole this from Steve Richard from Exec Vision, an email that goes round trip twice. So I email you, you reply, I, I reply and you reply. So that's quality. It's gone round trip twice. So, so over the last eight-ish years, I remember reps used to be comped on 10 QCs a day. And now we're seeing like four or five. Yeah. So that, I mean, if anything, if someone asks me, has the job gotten harder? I just point to that number. I yeah. say there's more technology. 
there's more data and you're having half as many conversations per day. Seems like the job's getting harder. Yeah. But, and this is where it gets, this is where the second, the second leading source of hate email that I get is <laughs> the, people that say I'm a dinosaur. I, so I was an SDR in 2004, five. And Pretty much the same thing as me. I think it was. Uh, we had email back then. Do you remember? People think it didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, we had the same tool stack you do. Yeah. LinkedIn was at the early stages when everything was free on LinkedIn. It was beautiful. No, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. And we would get physical lists of, you know, like the Atlanta Business Journal to figure out yeah. which the companies were hiring. You know, so the data were there and the phone was how you talked to people. And a very colorful Excel spreadsheet. Yes, absolutely. You know, it was like a rainbow of, of, uh, of prospecting. Speaking of knowing being able to backfill you, yes. People could, not, people could never decipher what you were doing. But so I'm a big phone proponent, not because I like talking on the phone. I don't. Or talking to strangers on the phone. I certainly don't. But because the numbers say the leading indicator of booking a meeting is having a quality conversation. And the thing that drives the most quality conversations is the phone. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's, I mean, I'm, I, it's not like I'm in big phone's pocket. You know, there, there is no big phone. No one's, no one's cutting me checks when I say reps. If, you, if you're struggling, make more dials. It's just how the, how the data seemed to play out. Yeah. And we broke down in the report, like, we don't ask people, are you phone-centric or non-phone-centric or email-centric or LinkedIn-centric? but we asked them what their teams do for activities. And then we made a qual qualitative decision. You know, if 65% of their activities were phone, they're phone-centric. 65% were email, they're email-centric. And the data shows that the average quality conversations per day is lower for email-centric teams. It's just what it is. There's two ways to look at it. One, those reps, they're, they're so good at emailing, they can email so many people, they'll still hit their number, which is possible, right? You can email 1,000 prospects in a day I don't think anyone can call a thousand in a day or maybe their jobs. Maybe there's something about those jobs that they're slightly easier. Maybe it's a lower ASP, a lower level buy or a smaller company. So they don't have to use the phone to hit their number. So whenever right. people tell me I, I only cold email and it works, I say, I believe you, but the burden is on you to prove to me that that's transferable to your next job. You know, so that's, that's my take. No one's, nobody's paying the bridge group a ton of money to say, make more dials, right? Like, you know, we don't, nobody pays us for that advice, but more often than not, make more dials works. Yeah. And I think it's also probably, it's prob probably easier to cut through the noise with a phone conversation. I think in, in the first 30 seconds, you can really give an impression with your voice, the tone and everything, you know, yes. with personality technically than with an email, I think. Email actually surprisingly would probably work well with me. I like I like a good title email and, and I respect a well-built email. I, I respect someone that goes to the point, tell me why me, why my company and, mm -hmm. and what you want to achieve. And you know a good email could work, but I think I see it as a sequence. As a, I see it as at the end of the day, does it matter what I'm comfortable with? No. What matters is what's the best medium to get hold of the person, i.e. the prospect, that I think the technology that I'm representing can help, right? Because I've got a mission, which is I need to give the news to that guy or whoever it is, to that, that we are here and we are great. Yep. And you should buy our stuff. They don't know about us. 
why are we not engaged yet? I don't know. This is driving me crazy. So may it be a LinkedIn touch. So let's say you've got a marketing person that you are targeting that are active on social media. So you can go and like their stuff on LinkedIn, comment, send them some DM about that great article that they posted and stuff like that to create some sort of noise and, and make your names being recognized and stuff. May it be an email because in fact, as someone who is traveling so much that they never at their desk and you don't have their mobile number, so you've got right. no chance to, to get them. So your best, best luck is to send them an email at 8 p.m. when they're still you know, at the airport, you know, doing a few emails, sitting at a bar, drinking a pint. Or, <laughs> yeah. or, or, or is it, is it, is it you know, a phone call? A phone call when they are getting into the office or, or in the evening when, when they are wrapping up in the office. So I, I think from my perspective, the medium is really is really dependent on the prospect you want to reach and how people want to engage with. You know, we found out recently, we, we do have a fair amount of clients in Israel. Mm-hmm. We found out that WhatsApp is a great way to get in touch with people. I would find it a little bit rude if someone was to send me a WhatsApp out of the blue because yep. that's, that's my personal life pretty much, okay? Right. But with Israeli prospect, no problem. Huh. And they respond, you know? So why not? <laughs> I guess no, exactly. What right. like. It doesn't matter what they think about it. It doesn't matter if I, if I would feel offended if, if it was coming my way. It's about them. No, I agree. It, and the one thing I would say, it, so I 100% agree, it's the, the sequence or the cadence or whatever, you, the, the playbook you're running is what matters. The one tendency I see is we remember, not we, it's easy to remember every email that booked you to the meeting it's impossible to remember the 99 dials mm. that didn't answer, but that one time booked you the meeting. So like, yeah. like the universe tends towards the easy stuff. Yeah. That's just, that's like, that's a law of thermodynamics. No, Nobody gets up and says, let me do 10% more of the hard stuff today. I agree with you. But I yeah, agree. no, I agree. So, so like I'm the opposite of you. I never, I get so many e- emails and I'm a nobody at a, a company with not a huge budget. I don't read any of them, but I listen to every voicemail a rep leaves me. Well, it seems that you've got a lot of hate email as well. So it's probably, I would not like to be in your inbox. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the be- it's the beauty so, and the, the downside of LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, and again, you know, this is really, at the end of the day, I believe, I believe it's, it depends on the person that you are targeting. And when you are BDR and SDR and LDR, a or whatever, it's not about us and how we feel about it. It's about making sure that we go through the prospect and we put them in the center of the approach, you know, from a message perspective, from a medium perspective and all that, from, at least from my perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, and it's, but it's so hard to know. You, it, this is where companies let, they, they, they let SDRs run their own playbooks, or I say like they mutate the central playbook, it mutates, it's like a fast dividing cell, so fast that when you have 10 reps, you're not running the same playbook anymore. Mm-hmm. And you're doing reps a disservice, like you're, yes, you're giving them autonomy, but if you let someone do something that's less effective, and they don't know it's less effective because no one is measuring it properly, then you're setting people up to fail. So a, a little bit of control, or at least saying, I love your new approach, can we test it? I think is a good way to go. 100% agree. So you are doing news reports since 2007. I would like to know from the, the, the report in, in 2020, what surprised you, sure. Matt, personally, or, or the group, you know, so you, Trish, and all that. What, what's, what's the, 
is there anything that just came up came, came up and you're just like wow that's surprising that that's that's an odd one what was it if any so i thought i i believed companies were going to soften their qualification criteria in response to to covid and the economic downturn and i thought also quotas would fall and repayment would fall i was definitely right on companies softened quotas did not fall drastically, maybe because they're sticky and they're hard to cut once you've already agreed to something with the CFO. And having softened them and, and maybe given a little bit of relief, the same number, the same percentage of reps hit quota as they did two years ago. So that shocked me. So the, I think it's, it's over a year. It looks like there wasn't much of an impact, but I bet first half, second half were very different in most companies. Yeah. And that's exactly my next question. What was the impact of the pandemic that you, you or what was the impact the pandemic you think had on, on the sales development industry? Sure. So this is a, a second surprise to me was I thought, at least again, speaking to, to the US, our unemployment rate for what we, what we call the, the SDR profile went from, let's say, you know, two, three percent to nine, 10 percent. So I thought, okay, there's a lot more talent on the market. Companies are not going to hire 2020 graduates. They're going to hire reps that have done this for four, six, eight quarters and say, hey, this is a tough economy. Why don't you join us as an SDR? When we rebound, you're front of the line to become an AE. So I thought the profile would change. We, companies would be hiring more experienced, more B2B experienced people. And I was dead wrong. The profile did not change at all. You know, the, the amount of experience required at hire was, was pretty much consistent with every prior year, or I should say consistent with the downward trend where they're hiring less and less experienced reps over time. Mm-hmm. But the, the problem is, it, like it's kind of become like a factory <laughs> where it's like associate SDR, senior SDR, enterprise SDR, mid-market AE, go, 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 go. The, the problem is we, we took six months of hiring new AEs away. So now there's like a, there's a, there's pent up demand to want to make the next step that there just aren't enough open positions for. Like we haven't, we're not back to the employment levels we were at at the end of 2019. Yeah. So there's a lot of SDR and I see it. I'm a big lurker on Reddit r slash sales. I really like it because it's anonymous and you get, you get a good like read on what, SDRs from different industries in different parts of the country are saying to each other. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of frustration that specifically reps that were hired in late 2019 who thought they would be AEs by now. And not only are they not, there's not like a, it's not going to be next quarter. They're just, the company's not hiring that much. So I think like tenure is, is stretching just because of these like macro factors. There's, there's only so many companies right now that want to hire someone else's SDR to be their junior AE. That's like a hard jump is to, to leave your company and make that step up. Yeah. So there aren't a ton of those opportunities. And I'm feeling a lot of frustration that, that you know, in what, in 15 months, people aren't where they thought they were going to be. Mm, I agree. I agree. And I, th- and I think that there is a big demand in general for anything sales. Uh, I think there is that from, from the sales development rep to the to the to the AE. I mean, we 
I think one of our biggest frustration in what we do as a business mm-hmm. is, is clients or ex-clients poaching our team. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is something that and it's happening all the time. Yeah. Sometimes very nicely. So you've got a client that will give us a call and say, hey, you know what? Yeah, that guy is brilliant. I used to work with him in my previous company. I would like to re-engage, but we're hiring, you know, could we? You know, so that, that's cool. We actually respect the people who contact us first and let us know, uh, or someone in the leadership team, about their intention to kind of go and poach. Mm-hmm. And some others would just hide behind recruiters, but they direct the recruiters to us and, you know, yeah. we hold the message because that's the good news. You know, our guys are quite open and, and, you know, maybe not as loyal as we would like, but, you know, they are relatively open about what's happening and telling, and telling us what, what, how they've been approached. But, you know, it seems that what we've seen over the last couple of years for sure is a bit more desperation for hiring good caliber SDR. Mm-hmm. I know you spoke about that factory. We kind of call it the conveyor belt. Right. And I think it's exactly the same thing. It's the conveyor belt in the factory. And, and we try to develop those talents. So we try to, you know, when you recruit an SDR, I think you can't do it based on previous experience. For us, it's too late. They are too mm-hmm. expensive for us because, you know, we need to make some margin and still not cost a fortune for our clients. So we need to get the guys that are like, we, we recruit them for who they are not what they've done. Yeah, yeah, I, lo- I love that, yeah. And, and then you've got to develop them, but then when they become good, you've got to keep them. <laughs> yeah. And then the problem you've got is that when you do that and you work really hard and we've got processes and we try to be a great place to work, you know, you'll have the odd sales guy that we work with saying, hey, have you considered looking outside? You know, we've got a job. I think we pay a little bit more than where you are at, at the moment. Maybe whilst you're considering it. You know, it's, it's just like those kind of dropping things were just like, and we have to deal with it on a constant basis. Of course. Um, I, think, and, and, and I think I heard you say on another, another show that like a lot of your non-SDR staff are former of your SDRs. Like they're, they're your intern, oh, every, yeah. all your internal positions are formers. Yes, yes. We, we're very big, on, very big on the promotion from within, like Papa Jones, McDonald, whatever. It's just like, you know, <laughs> you know, you want to own your own franchise, you start at the bottom putting the pepperonis on the pizza. Yep. Uh, and that's, that's, that's because all the management team, including my, my, my business partner and I, we, we all come from that school. So we've got a lot of respect. And, but it's difficult to, to, to keep up. You know, you've got to grow at a specific rate, particularly when you get to 200, 250 SDRs. You know, you have literally 60 people that want a promotion every year. Of course. Yeah. And, it's and tough. It is a job, you know, and we can't, you know, I mean, we are growing, but we, we need people on the ground. So, but, but I do feel that desperation for talent. I, I really do feel that because something that was a, a one-off once in a while, once every six months, a client would come and poach one of your guys. Now it's literally happening, if not twice a week, at least once a week. So you have my permission to cut this from the episode if you want to, but I have some data I, I haven't finished yet. That, that answers it. So here's, this is the question I'm asking. If I'm hiring for a, a junior AE and, I, and I, had, I can't promote internally, so that's off the table, is it better to hire somebody who's worked for a B2B tech vendor as an SDR or somebody who's worked for a company like yours as an SDR? <laughs> and like logically, you would say, well, probably, they're probably the same. It's not even close. The success rate or the, the rate of not getting fired within two quarters is much, much higher for somebody who's worked for you because they've seen, they've seen 
they've, they've been through a better process. They've had better management, my theory, they've had better management and they've just seen more sales motions. They've yes. worked more accounts. They've seen more. They've, their, their experience is so much uh, deeper in the same amount of months. Yeah. I think we take them through a more thorough sales training. Mm. I think we take, we, we, we are also very, you know, they, they participate to client management. So there is that sort of customer success that is, is engraved in their brain and they are not, they, they, they are involved in a, every single step of the customer journey. So we're not too heavy on the, oh, you will have like five layers of management before you have <laughs> the rep. The reps are actually on the W, you know, on the weekly business review, basically. So yeah, I think, I think our guys, when they come, we, we are, I'd like to take the analogy. I mean, we don't do that anymore in Europe, really, but it's like military service. You know, I'm, I'm speaking to some of, uh, again, coming back to, to Israeli vendors and people we work with, they, they, there, is still Israel, uh, there is still military service in, in Israel. And I also have some, some relatives in Korea. And, and people, will, if, if you are Korean and you live in, in England or in the US, you have to go back to do your military service for 18 months, right? <laughs> But all the people complain about it, but when they come back from it, they're like, wow, wow, I'm a change man. Yeah. Things I've learned, the discipline, the process, I'm a change man. I, my, my perception, the paradigms on life, the way I'm, 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 I'm acting, the way I'm making decisions. And, and it's because, you know, not that we roll them in the mud or hard, but we, we don't, we they are being managed by people who have done their job. They are not managed by, you know, they are managed by experience. They are evaluated. They are part of a larger group of people. There is competition internally. There is well, healthy competition. So there is a lot of things going on. And, you know, and it kind of reminds me why I, get, I got started in the business. The, right. the reason why I got started in the business is I actually finished my, my studies in the UK in Cambridge. That's why I moved in the UK in, first place but when i was about to go back to france to paris and i was working for philips at the time so uh, philips sent me to 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 um to the uk so philips the consumer electronics they, they just relocated the, the the business unit that i was working for to china or to give you an idea and to reveal about my age we were working on mp3 player that could be a usb stick that you wear around your neck <laughs> that was love it in the day. but what, what i was doing at the time i was reading lots of autobiography and I can't remember if it was Richard Branson or Warren Buffett or, but you know, some of the top guys who always said, I started my career in recruitment. I started my career in telemarketing. I started my career in door-to-door selling. And if you can brave the elements of this rough, tough type of environment and be good at it, you're going to be a good CEO. You're going to be a good person. And that's why I call it kind of the military service in my, in my, in my opinion. So, I think because we take them through that sort of, and, and because it's our mindset to really, we, we say to people when we recruit them, say, look, if you want to work for a vendor, you're going to make more money. But what you get from us is acceleration of your career. Right. And so that's so, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and especially now, like, so I, forgive me for not knowing exactly the in-person office situation in the UK, but here in the US, very few companies are all back in the office. Practically none. Yeah. So imagine onboarding three new reps whom you've never met, they've never met each in person, they've never met each other, and they're learning and doing their jobs disparately versus you're onboarding three reps someday in the office 
Absolutely. where there's 60 other, 100 other. I mean, uh, it's, it's just a deeper, deeper pool to learn from. I, it's, 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 just, it's just, you know, we took a massive slap across the face last year around that specific topic. Yeah. And I think there is lots of reason. First of all, well, and there is, there is, there is a, a counter effect actually that was positive. But if we focus on the difficulties that we face, to your point, Matt, well, we have lots of very nice people in, in the office. We have lots of people who are extremely emotionally intelligent and help others in the office. Okay? And in fact, we, we, we've been promoting a fair few of them as mentor. Mm-hmm. A mentor at Operatics is someone who still carry a little bit of, of delivery, so working for clients. So they are still in the trenches. They are still working. They are non-threatening figures. They are not your manager. You can go and tell them, what does, what does a, a, a CTO mean? <laughs> yeah, yep. I love and it. That's fine. They will, they, they will tell you. But you may not want to go your, to your manager to, to discuss that because you, you may think it's a stupid question. So, you know, all that shadowing, all that things that you can't see when you are managing a team because you, you're in meetings and stuff like that. But the people who are on the floor saying, hey, Matt, just heard your call. You've done so well, but use the silence. You speak too much. Maybe you should just have stopped. Like when you say that, why did you carry on? Or, or the little pointer that changed your life. You can't really have that in, in the invisible organization when you are distributed. And that's difficult. However, on the plus side, we've seen, we realized that we have a lot of introverts. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, the introvert would be the guys who are like good average BDRs that have been absolutely exploding working from home. And I think the reason behind that is because there is no filter or, oh, my colleague next to me is listening to what I'm saying. Yes, yes. Oh, that guy is kind of, of oh, the manager is there. Oh, I don't really want to call if the manager is here. Because, you know, if, if, if I've got a connection, I'm going to be, oh. And, and I do believe that we've seen, we had some people who just absolutely exploded. And, and that teaches some great lessons. Okay, so obviously the pandemic was an horrible event that we had to, we had to adapt to. But... We've learned so much, Matt. And you are so right with the point you are making, by the way. No, let me tell you, I've worked from home for 11 years. <laughs> if there's the radio on, my productivity goes down. It's too distracting. So yeah. yes, it is very person specific, but I love that story. It's great. Well, unfortunately, we're getting to the end of the, of the show today. I could carry on. Next time we'll have, we'll have to meet up and, and go for a beer or something. But when I come stateside and Sounds great. conversation, I had a great time today. Uh, and thanks again, Matt, for, for sharing all your insights. At this point of the, the conversation, I always ask the same question is, you know, people may want to carry on the conversation with you. They may want to discuss the services that you guys can offer at the Bridge Group. So what is the best way to get in touch with you, Matt? So any one of our audience can reach out to you. Please, guys in the audience, no hate emails. <laughs> yeah, right. They may want to tell me I'm an idiot. Uh, no, so- none of that, guys. But what's the best way to get hold of you? I think LinkedIn is the easiest because there aren't that many Matt Bertuzzi's, B-E-R-T-U-Z-Z-I. Right. And just message me or Bridge Group Inc. Contact us. And I promise you it will get to me in a minute and I will reply in two. Yeah, that's, 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 that's good. Always good to be agile. Sometimes people wonder when, when they put a, a, a request through why I'm responding. That's because we're always on. There you go. No matter how big the company is. Look, Matt, it was absolute, an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, 
companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.